Welcome to Broker to Broker, brought to you by AIM, the Association of Independent Mortgage Experts. If you haven't listened yet, Broker to Broker dives into the nitty gritty of the mortgage business by interviewing independent brokers and loan originators just like me. Hope you enjoy the show. Today's episode is brought to you by CF Wholesale. Learn more about Octane, CF Wholesale's unique loan origination system designed to work for you with maximum transparency so you can spend more time with your clients and referral partners. Get connected with CF Wholesale by emailing us at partnerships at aimgroup.com today. Welcome back, everyone, to another Broker to Broker podcast. My name is Mark Summers. I'm the president of AIM. Um, the gentleman I will be speaking with today no, needs no introduction. Um, well known throughout our community. Uh, he's going to be our first repeat podcaster that we've ever had before. Um, wealth of knowledge, wealth of just everything that makes the broker industry great. So today I'm going to be interviewing a mortgage broker with JKS Mortgage, Todd Bitter. Todd, thanks for joining us. Yeah, great for having me. Um, I didn't realize I was the first repeat, so I take that as an honor, I guess. I guess they still want to hear from me. <laughs> People always want to hear from you. You know that, man. We, everyone loves your insight on everything because it's just, it's straight you cut to the point and this is what's going on. So now we appreciate everything you do for AIM. I know you're really uh, active in our social media platforms. Whenever we need you, you're there. So first off, I want to thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. I love helping out anywhere I can. You know, I mean, I, um, I think back to when I got in this business and didn't know anything. And if it wasn't for the people that, you know, just lent 15 minutes here, 10 minutes there, you know, I don't know where my career would be today if it wasn't for those guys back then. So I, I feel like I feel like all of us have a duty to kind of pay it forward as we go through our experiences and uh, our career. So glad I to help. I couldn't agree more. So listen, you, you're well known throughout our industry, but I, you know, there may be a person or two that doesn't really know about you. So if you can, with JKS Mortgage yourself, just give us a little background on yourself. Just tell us a little bit about, you know, what you're doing in your company. Sure. So, um, I got into business a little over 25 years ago, um, started in the uh, greater Cincinnati area and was uh, in the business up in, uh, in Cincinnati up until uh, 2007 when I started making the plans to uh, transition out to Arizona where uh, I always basically wanted to live. I, I'm, a, I'm not a cold weather person and uh, you know the thoughts of spending one more winter in uh, Cincinnati just was not very appealing. So you know, I decided to come out here. So I moved out to Arizona and JKS Mortgage had was started in the year 2000 by Jamie Smith, who is married to my wife's best friend. Okay. Little family guy. So, so yeah, so I, I moved out to Arizona um, because I met my future wife. And that's what, one of the reasons why I was moving there. And uh, so right away, it was kind of like, well, hey, you know, Jamie's a one man shop. You know, why don't you guys like pair up and kind of help each other out? And uh, so that's that's how I that's how WWTBD became JKS. You know, yeah. <laughs> By the way, I wasn't WWTBD back then, <laughs> um, but no, it, it was just like a natural, like you know, it's like okay, we'll we'll hook up and uh, you know, I can help offset some of the expenses. So so that's where JKS came into found came into being was uh, you know JKS stands it's it's the initials of uh, Jamie. Um, and uh, yeah, so we're basically two one-man operations in Arizona. Um, that is now basically three. Uh, he works at his house. I work at my house. Uh, we self-process. Neither one of us has assistance. Neither one of us has office space. You know, we do everything start to finish by ourselves. I mean, both me and Jamie, um, you know, I self-process. I self-everything. Um, not a... Uh, not an assistant be found and he does the same. So that's what we are. We're just a small broker shop that focuses on realtors and, you know, he does more refis than I do, but that's kind of what we became. And, uh, and I guess you're, you know, you probably want to know about Adam, you know, I brought somebody on recently. I think that was one of the things you were going to get to. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get to that for sure. Yeah. yeah. So we'll talk about that when you're ready. Yeah. So no, I mean, so the self-processing thing, why you do a lot of volume. Give, 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 give our audience a little bit of an idea of like how many loans you close per year on average, let's just say. Well, so 2020, I closed, um, 346 loans and self-processed all of them. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So 346, I think my volume was like 111 million. Um, 
but yeah, all self-processed, all self-sourced. Um, I do zero advertising. Well, let me take that back. I spend $750 a year to put JKS's name and phone number on the back of jerseys in a cricket league. Um, <laughs> I've never heard that one before. I don't know anything about cricket. I just know that about 35% of my clientele for years now have been people from India. I do. I've, I've got a big following in the Indian community here. And because we have such a large tech presence, there's a lot of technology companies here in town. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I deal with a lot of people from India that are in town that, that work here for tech companies. They're engineers on H1B visas and things like that. And um, they all, they, not all, I mean, but a lot of them play cricket, kind of like, you know, throw a rock and you'll hit a realtor or mortgage broker who plays golf. Right, so right. In the Indian community, they love cricket. And uh, so one of the guys said, you should sponsor our league. And uh, OK, I figured it was more of a throwaway of $750 just to make these guys happy because they've been good to me. I figured I owed it to them. And I literally closed like five loans a year, probably off that 750 investment each year in a cricket league that I don't even know how you play the damn game. I, I went to one, I went to their championship game like three years ago as a sponsor. And, Were you clueless? Uh, I don't have a flipping clue. All I know is the score was like eight gazillion to nine gazillion or something. Like I've never seen so much scoring in all my life, you know, don't know why. I don't know what, I just know that, you know, there's a lot of scoring. Um, but the, uh, and then the after party, they, they make some incredible cake. I just remember like they had this, this tray of these sweets that they put out. And I guess it's a thing in the Indian community. I'm like, wow, okay. Now I'm at the right place, you know, cause I have a sweet tooth. So, <laughs> but, but literally that's my advertising for the last 10 years. That's all the ads I've ever done. And I don't really call that advertising, but, uh, no. but yeah, so it's all self-sourced, all self-processed, um, no assistant. Um, about the extent of an assistant is if I'm in the shower and my wife answers the phone so that, uh, so that, you know, somebody's answering because, you know, I'm the answer your damn phone guy. So right, right. I don't answer it. There's a problem. So, but no, it's, that's what we do. We're all self-sourced, all self-processed, uh, self-everything. So that's, that's unbelievable, but I love it at the same time. So for, for people listening, Todd is our first ever second podcaster. He's a, he's the only one to ever return and do this. Uh, so I was really excited about this. So give me a little bit of idea. What, what has changed? What has happened in the last two years since you've been on with us? Well, that's like a loaded question right there, considering what we've all been through in the last two years. But no, I mean, obviously take out the obvious of uh, wearing masks everywhere and, you know, all the COVID stuff. Um, the business has changed. Uh, and a lot of it is related to the pandemic. Um, more, you know, It's funny, a lot of people in the industry were really struggling in uh, mid-2020, uh, mid-last year, when the pandemic really took root and everybody was working from home and I'm like, okay, guys, well, I've been here for 10 years working from home or 12 at that point, you know? And so nothing really changed for me in that aspect, but I know it really changed the industry because a lot of guys struggle with that guys and girls struggle with that for the first couple of months of the pandemic last year. And I think by the end of 2020 though, everybody had it dialed in. And I think a lot of people were like, why did I, why was I paying three grand a month for an office? Right. You know, and then of course, a lot of guys don't, I mean, a lot of people, their business model requires that office, but I think a lot of, I think it opened a lot of people's eyes that you can do this from home, you know? Um, but for me personally, it just, uh, the difference is, is, uh, it's just been a crazy busy 18 months or so, you know, two years. I mean, who would have thought that, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, who would have thought that we were going to have the busiest 18 month stretch or 20 month stretch in our entire careers? I mean, you know, so so that's really been the difference for me is just the massive amount of uh, influx of loans. So and then that segues into the reason why, you know, I, I did recently, not recently in in, uh, in March, he officially started with March 1st of 2020, right at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, yeah, who, who, who is this? This is Adam Corley. Okay. Um, you know, Adam was a, you know, I hired him to be a loan officer. Um, little background on Adam. Adam was, uh, he worked for a retail shop uh, here in Phoenix. And he had, I think at the time that we hired him, he had eight months in the business, 
very, very new to the business. And his wife works for Redfin as an agent. And she's one of my biggest, or not she, Redfin is one of my biggest accounts. Like I do a lot of business with Redfin. Everybody that knows me knows that. And Heather, Adam's wife, you know, Adam was at a crossroads trying to figure out what he wanted to do career-wise because I guess his previous employer was going under or something. So she figured, hey, you should be a loan officer because I'm a realtor and I can feed you business. So he became a loan officer. And this retail shop hired him and they hired him for the simple reason to try to get in at Redfin, you know, because what they basically did to him and they brought him in, they gave him no guidance. Um, they basically, you know, not to be disrespectful, but they basically stuck him in a corner and just gave him, you know, barely let him barely trained him or anything, you know, they wanted him there as a way to get into Redfin. Gotcha. And he was working there and struggling and making, you know, he was, I think he said he's closing two, maybe three loans a month at best. And those were just referrals from his wife. And uh, he was looking for a way out because he felt like he could do better. And uh, at that point in time, I was getting a lot of pressure from just a lot of people you know, my peers and aim and, you know, uh, Casa and some others are like, you know, you got to get some help. You know, you should have an LOA. My wife drive me nuts. You know, you need an LOA, you need this. Um, so I interviewed Adam to be, um, exactly that. I was going to make him an LOA and think, okay, I'm finally, after all these years, I'm going to let, let my trust guard down and actually hire somebody to touch my files. And we're interviewing and I'm talking to him. And even though he was kind of new and green, he just, he liked the idea of staying a loan officer. You know, it's hard. You know, it's hard to be a loan officer and say, okay, I'm going to make you my assistant. I think he had a hard time getting his head wrapped around that it was going backwards. And then that, that trust factor in me of just being a control freak. <laughs> it's like, man, I don't think I can, not this guy. I don't think I can stop self-processing. So I said, fine, I'm going to make you a loan officer. So basically I stuck him in a loan officer position. He works out of his house like me and Jamie do. He self-processes everything. And, you know, I feel bad for him because here's a guy that has no experience, eight months in the business, but not been trained. And I said, okay, you're going to work from home and you're going to do it all yourself. And I think he felt like a deer in the headlights, but between me and Jamie, we kind of helped him out and he's doing great today. But when I hired him, what I realized I needed at the time was, is I needed somebody to handle refis. To me personally, refis are like a nuisance. I, I'm not a refi guy. I know most people love refis and they hate purses. I'm the exact opposite. If I never do another refi again, it would be too soon. You know, I, I kind of think purchases in the, in its own sense, they're, they bring their own set of problems, but they're, they're actually kind of easier. I think they're way easier. The difference is, is a lot of guys don't know how to talk to realtors. I say guys, guys and girls, you guys, you know, a lot of people have this, they go into a real, they go into a purchase transaction with a chip on their shoulder right away expecting that realtor to be a pain in the ass, expecting that realtor to get, get in their lane, things like that. And um, I think it just goes to having the mentality of working with that realtor, knowing how to speak to them and just setting the expectations. And if you have that set up, a purchase transaction is way easier, you know, because your realtor, if, if, if done properly, that real estate agent is your LOA. I mean, if I email a customer for a bank statement and I'm not getting anywhere with them, I call the agent and say, hey, you know, I'll use Kelly, one of my big agents. I'll call Kelly. I say, Kelly, Mr. Smith is still not sending me this bank statement. And then she'll call behind me and say, look, you want to buy this house? You know, so you if handled properly, that real estate agent's almost like your assistant or processor on a deal. Where on a refi, you don't have that. Right. Uh, That's a great point. The other thing about refis that drives me crazy is I have a purchase contract that's closing 20 days from now. They're locked in at 299. You know, a weekend, the rates dropped at 2.75. They call me up. Okay, sorry. I mean, you're locked. It's a two-way street. The lender's locking to protect you, and you're in the turn committing to that lock. So it's a two-way street. It's not one way. And I explained to them, well, what are they going to do? They're not going to 10 days out from close of escrow say, well, I want that 275 where I'm walking. You know, they can't. So you have you don't have that 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 disloyalty or that or that jumping ship mentality with a purchase. 
where I don't care how good you are, how strong of your, your relationship is with a buy with a, with a, with a client that's refinancing, a lot of clients will literally jump ship unless you take them to another lender or somehow get them that better rate because they don't have a time frame. You know, okay, yeah, I'd like to close by December 31st of my refi, but if it's January 15th, I'm okay with that too. Right. Not a big you know? deal. So, so that's always been my thing about refis is there's no loyalty in refis. Now, I'm sure people watch and say, well, my customers are loyal. Oh, okay, so are mine. But let's face it, you know, it, it, no matter how loyal they are, you know, the right carrot dangled in front of them, they may leave, you know, and, and of course, some of them will always be loyal, but there's a good portion that will leave for a better deal. And you don't get that with, with purchases. I mean, with purchases, they're, they're locked in, you're ready to go. They might ask about the different rates or something, but they're locked in. They're not going to. Right. So that's always been my thing in, 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 in real and in, in purchase business. You know, I love it because there's almost always an agent on the other side that I don't know. And it gives me an opportunity to meet that other agent. Refis, who am I meeting on a refi? Maybe the insurance agent, you know? Right. You know, so. That's interesting. I, I like that though. Yeah, you're always, you only meet one person on a refi, a new one, but purchases, you're meeting multiple people. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's not even, sometimes I don't even know the buyer's agent. So, so how, how are you going about, okay, so if everyone's remotely at home, you just hired this person, I kind of know what your breaking point was, it was probably your peers. <laughs> but with that being said, like, how are you utilizing this? I mean, is it just straight refis? I, I mean, how are you training him? Yeah, so, you know, it, it was it was a tough situation because COVID had just hit. So we didn't have a ton of FaceTime with each other. But I, I was comfortable with it. So was he, he would basically come over and shadow us. You know, he would shadow me for a day. He would go to Jamie's house and shadow and, you know, so be the pandemic. We weren't that worried about, it. but, um, but it wasn't like there was any training classes I could send him to. We did get lucky in the fact that right when I knew he was coming on board at the beginning of March, right before everything went lockdown, I got him into one of his UWM success track classes. So he was the he was the last success track class before they shut it down last year. Right. So right. And they went all was, virtual. Right. Yeah. Which was great because here's a guy that came from retail where he was pretty much ignored for the most part, not given a lot of training. All of a sudden he comes in and he's put on a plane, flown to Detroit where they really take care of people there. Um, you know, I think everybody that has everybody should go through success track. I mean, I can't say I have done it myself and also got a lot of years under my belt, but anybody that's newer to the business, if they don't go to UWM for success track, they're missing out. Cause that really helps us a lot with Adam. Um, he came back, you know, full, full of piss and vinegar because, you know, they really pump you up there, you know, they oh, yeah. do. And, um, and then from there, he just basically would shadow, he would come over to my house for six hours and shadow me. And I would just, hit i would hit weird things on deals and say okay now remember this because this is something that won't come up very often and he did the same thing with jamie so and then from there it was just more like getting thrown to the fire and just learning as you go um he knew enough to be dangerous from mm -hmm. where he from the retail shop he's at and then success track and then shouting us he, he was okay um but it was a good situation for him because I was able to give him my refis or at least 90% of my refis. I was just able to give them to him and say, here's Mr. Smith. I closed him in 2019. He's at a rate of three and a half, you know? Um, right. So he went, you know, I would give him the refis and he would start working those. And it gave him a chance to really earn as he learned. And um, I think he closed in 2020. He worked for us for 10 months in 2020 and he closed, I don't know what, I, I don't have his overall numbers offhand, but just in refis that I gave him, he closed, I think, 81 units. Wow, so, that's awesome. Yeah, so here's a guy that went from closing two or three loans a month to close averaging eight just from what I give him. And then his wife's purchase business and stuff. I don't know exactly where he ended up. I think he averaged about 10 units a month as a brand new guy last year. So it made it to where it was easier for him to learn because he didn't have the pressure of trying to figure out where his next dollar was coming from. You know, all of a sudden he's making like three times the money he's ever made in his life, you know? And I'll, I'll be honest with you, it's easier to learn when you don't have that pressure hanging over your head, you know? Right. Um, 
it's one of the things I, you know, hats off to new loan officers that have come into this industry in the last few years, because when I started the business, it was easy to break in. I honestly think it's much harder nowadays. So guys that come in this business and make it in the first couple of years, I mean, it's, 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 it's showing a lot of, uh, a lot of drive and, and, and a lot of passion to be able to do this as a newbie in this industry, I think. So, yeah. And you know what? And you just set him up for huge success because you're right. Trying to find those deals in the beginning is, is really difficult. And then you're probably misspeaking a little bit, but I've always said, I don't care. I mean, we have great training classes, great partners. Success track does a great job, but until you're in a real file, it's the best way to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's nothing in training manuals that's going to prepare you for the little weird things that pop up. <clears throat> um, I've never seen a training manual or a training class where they talk about personal property on a contract, you know, right, right. you know, Adam, Adam called me today. He knows that we can't use personal, have personal property on a contract. He called me today and he said, I've got this contract. And in the contract, it states that the seller will leave behind, um, the extra tile from when they retiled the kitchen. And I said, well, that's personal property. He said, yeah, but it's tile. I said, it's still, it's personal property. And, I, you know, and I use the adage, if you can turn the house upside down, shake it, if it falls out, it's not part of the contract. You know, I've never, I've never heard that. I love that. Yeah. So, so anyway, that's something you're never going to see in the manual. But it is personal property and it's just a little quirky thing, but it's one of those things that, you know, only experience where you get these things. And there's all kinds of those that you run across. I mean, I, you know, 26 years in thousands of loans I've closed. I still probably once a month come across some odd, quirky thing that I didn't know about, you know. Every time, every time. So, so again, you're right. I mean, experience trumps all the training in the world. The training is there to get you to where you can basically spell mortgage. The rest of it is there to teach you how to do a mortgage. <laughs> That's spot on. So, okay. So he's doing your refis for the most part. Um, and I know you focus on realtors. What do you see kind of going wrong or what advice can you give to people who, you know, are just handling realtors wrong? And do you have any like new adages, anything that you're doing differently? Well, I, I know this is one thing I've said over and over again. Um, you know, you, if you go through any sales training, I don't care what you're selling. And if you're doing something over the phone, you know, I years and years and years ago, I worked in a telemarketing room and, when I was in college and uh, they used to preach to us. They had a big sign up that says they can see your smile through the phone. OK, and I know it sounds dumb, but it's all and what they're saying is the attitude is, you know, if you're not if you don't like who you're talking to here on the phone, it comes across. And I tell loan officers all the time, you see it all the time. I don't care if it's in the brokers or better group. I don't care where you're looking at. You're going to see loan officers that do nothing but talk badly about realtors. A lot, I'd say at least 70% of our industry doesn't like realtors. Fair statement. And if you have that mindset, you can't really, you can say you're turning it on when you're on the phone with that realtor or when you're meeting that realtor, but you're not really. I mean, you have to change the thinking. You have to change the thinking and say, look, I know there's some realtors out there that drives us nuts. I know there's some bad realtors. There's bad loan officers, you know, but those realtors are your golden ticket to retirement someday with a nice chunk of change because you're going to make more off of one realtor can make you hundreds of thousands of dollars over your career. One customer, maybe you refinance them and sell them a house every five years. You might make, 20,000 over a career off one. Um, it, most of the time, they're not even making that. You, you'd want and done with a customer. So you got you to gotta reevaluate your thinking on realtors. You have to learn to talk to them. Find a couple realtors that you really like and ask them. Just say, hey, look, I, I want to do more realtor business and I struggle with this. Tell me what it is you guys hate about us, you know, and, and learn to communicate and it's, you got to learn to speak realtor speak, you know, you got to learn to know how to talk to them and how to uh, get along with them. And I think that's the first and foremost thing, you know, I mean, I genuinely like realtors. I genuinely communicate well with realtors, you know, um, do I meet one that absolutely is an idiot? 
Absolutely. I meet at least two or three a month. You know, I, I had one. I've told this story before. I had one that still sticks in my mind today. And I just told the story yesterday. Somebody I had a realtor that was a part time agent that I could not get a hold of. And every she wouldn't call me back until like six o'clock every night. And I finally just told her, I said, look, I said, if I call you for something, I need a phone call back. We're closing next week and I'm not hearing back from you. And she said, well, I'm sorry, but I have to focus on my real job. And I'm just like, what a messed up thing to say, you know? Right. You know, if that's how you feel, you shouldn't be selling houses. You know, I get it. You have, there's some part-time realtors out there. It takes a while to ramp up in that business and a lot of them work a part-time job. But, you know, if you feel that way, you're not in it. And the same thing with loan officers. If you feel that way towards realtors, like what she said to me, if you said, well, you know, I'll deal with this realtor, but refis are my thing. You know, you got to change that thinking. You got to like realtors. And that's the number one thing. Um, and then the first thing any realtor will tell you, the biggest, biggest pet peeve they have with loan officers is communication. Um, yes, that ties into my answer your damn phone slogan that I always preach, which is a big one. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've had a realtor that I don't know that calls me on a weekend because they want to ask me about an offer when my clients just submitted or whatever. And I hear this, I hear this every, at least once a week, sometimes twice a week, I'll answer a phone. They'll be like, wow, thank you for answering your phone. It's like, you shouldn't be thanking me for answering my phone. That's my job. Right. Right. And that's where the whole answer your damn phone motto came from was from being thanked for answering my phone from realtors. So it starts there and then it rolls into the rest of communication don't be afraid to say you to, to give bad news. I mean, you know, that is probably one of the things that'll turn a realtor off and cause a problem. If you have bad news to give, give it, you know, don't, don't hold on to that news and let it fester for three or four days while you think you might fix it. You know, if I have a problem on a deal, I'll call the realtor right away and say, Hey, look, we have an issue. I'm working on it. I'm hoping it'll be fixed, but I'm letting you know right now while I'm working on it, you know, and then I'll go into details about what we're trying to do. And then if five days from now, if that is a fatal issue, that's going to kill the deal. They know about it at least. Right. And they may not be happy with it, but they're not blindsided by it. And I can't tell you how many loan officers do this to do this to realtors and customers both you know, don't be afraid to say no and don't be afraid to give bad news. It's part of what we do. Um, imagine if your doctor sees cancer on your screening and thinks, well, maybe I can, maybe it's not really cancer, maybe more testing. And he doesn't tell you. And then five days later, he calls up and says, well, I tried to fix it, but you got cancer, you're going to die. You know, I mean, I don't care what it is. Think about your kids. You know, if your kids get in trouble at school, you'd rather them come home and tell you about it instead of hearing about it a week later. You know, so I think that's the biggest advice I can give them, guys, when it comes to realtors. You know, there's a million ways to meet realtors. We right. can talk about that until we're blue in the face, and I have. But once you've met them, communication and giving the telling, giving bad news and good news both, you know, open those lines of communication. There's nothing more important with realtors than that. I, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, when I when I visit some offices and whatnot, they just say we just want over communication, bore us with it. And, and, and that's what I pride myself on. I mean, I, I, I feel like you can never communicate enough. You know, right. I've never had a realtor say, will you please stop calling me and updating me on my file? <laughs> I mean, I've never had it happen once. It's never going to happen, you know, and um, and yeah, I mean. And, you know, it's funny not to bring up the answer your damn phone thing. The answer your damn phone thing was born on this podcast the first time around. Was it really? Is that where it came if from? Go back and listen to the first podcast. You'll hear me telling JP Hussey, I was like, you know, I was talking about how I communicate with realtors and how, you know, it's, it's so frustrating that loan officers don't answer their phones. And I'm like, you know, I had a realtor one day that just said, if the loan officers just answer your damn phones, I'd be happy. And I was telling JP this whole story at the end. JP says, okay, well, you know, he was summarizing. He said, well, I guess the one thing we learned today besides this and this, he said, <laughs> is that, you know, Todd believes that you better answer your damn phone. And I was like, yeah, I said, answer your damn phone. And from that podcast, 
the whole thing is snowballed and that's where it all came from you know that's so fun you know i i obviously i know the slogan but i didn't know it came from the podcast itself that's interesting yeah, but no it, it's, listen it's, to that when you'll see it it's funny it's and i i think i have listened to that but anyways they, they all start to run together a little yeah, bit. They do. Yeah. but uh no, and I mean you're you're absolutely right. Like the simple things, and I, and I've been expressing that the entire year. Just the simple things, like picking up your phone, is is important. Uh, communication, even if you don't have anything, you know. What I mean, I, I I stress this with my company all the time. It's like, hey, just call the realtor and let them know. I don't have any news, but I don't have any bad news either. It's just I want to let you know there's we're like in this. You know, we're waiting for an appraisal. We're waiting for whatever. Everything looks good. If there's anything wrong, I'll let you know. They appreciate that so much. Yeah, because so few loan officers do it. I mean, that's this that it, it's it's just like um, like with my agents. You know, it's a tough market right now. It has been for a while in Arizona. Um, my agents that I work with on a regular basis are all conditioned. When they email that offer into the listing agent, they CC me on the offer, and right in the offer, they'll say, you know, here's the offer on one two three Main Street. My buyers. John Smith is, you know, you know, they, they do their little, yeah. the little thing that they type out in their emails, you know, and in that same email, they'll type, I have taken the liberty to CC Todd Bitter, the lender on this file. Todd would be happy to communicate with you about the strength and weaknesses of this offer or of this buyer's financing as well. Um, and they prose it as the, the listing agent can call me if they have any questions. Well, the reason why I haven't CC me on it is I, when I see that email come in, I usually wait about 20 minutes, maybe 30, if it's a weekend amount, an hour or so. But I don't wait for that agent to call me. I call the agent. I have the, I have the offer. I have the, the, everything right in front of me. I call the agent and say, hey, you know, this is Todd at JKS. I'm calling because I'm the loan officer that's working with John Smith. Kelly over at Redfin submitted this offer this morning. Um, I'd like to just explain where we're at with this customer. And... It's so simple. And this is like loan officer 101, but I bet you very few, I mean, I hear a lot of guys say, oh, I do it on every offer. If you, if everybody's doing it, then why is it that almost 75% of the time when I'd make that call, the listing agent would be like, oh, this is, I can't believe you're calling me. This is great. I wish everybody did this. Because and the bottom line is, is everybody should do it. Right. But if you're too busy to make a call to an agent like that, you know, you're, 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 Either you don't need agents because you're so busy or you're in the wrong profession because that's, it's a five minute phone call. That's all yeah. it is. Yeah. But again, it's simple. It, goes, it goes back to that mindset. If you hate realtors, you're going to hate making that call. It's a great and, point. And you have to get your mindset reached. You got to reset your mind that realtors are your best friends and that you love realtors. You know, I know we have those shirts that say, I love mortgages. You know, I should make one that says I love realtors because, you know, realtors have made me a comfortably, how do I say it, uh, you know, com financially comfortable person. Thanks to realtors as well. Right. You know, uh, refis haven't made me that way. Right. You know. Yeah. We, uh, I, I know someone we can work on a shirt like that. <laughs> yeah, we should. Yeah. We should. We should have it. I'll, I'll uh, as soon as I'm done here, I'm going to make a call. Let's we'll, we'll see what we can do. Um, okay. So you you obviously know this industry extremely well, been in it a long time. Uh, you know, I, I love your viewpoints on things. What do you kind of foresee the future of the wholesale channel? Cause I know a lot of people who have made the transition rates have gone up a little bit, but they're still great. Let's just be honest here. They're still great. Uh, what do you kind of foresee the future? Because some people are starting to freak out a little bit. Well, I mean, and, they sh and, and if they're if they're refi heavy, they should be a little freaked out. But being freaked out is a good thing. I mean, yep. you know, I would hope that everybody that I would hope that everybody that's not doing at least fifty percent of their businesses purchases, I would hope that everybody that's in that fifty percent or more refi bucket would be concerned. Um, there's no secret; rates are going higher. I mean. Will we have dips in the road? Who knows? Yeah, I mean, this new variant of the coronavirus, okay, maybe we'll be back to two and a half next week on rates because it gets worse, but it's not going to last. I mean, the long-term thing is we're going to be, rates are going to be in the mid threes and they're going to be in the high threes. And personally, I think by, I think within the next 12 to 18 months, I think we'll probably be at four and a quarter on a 30-year fixed. I mean, a lot of people that are new to the business think that's a high rate. That's a great rate right um 
you need to, everybody in this business needs to get the twos out of their head. I mean, it's great while we got it, but you need to forget it because, you know, it's not going to stay. And the high threes, low fours are probably where we're going to be in the next 12 to 18 months. What that's going to do, it's going to choke out a lot of refis. I mean, let's face it. Most of the people that have refied or people that will refi, there's people out there just, just will not refi. Um, but most of those have refied and most of them are in the twos, some are in the low threes. Um, of course, there's always going to be debt consolidation. There's always going to be that need for refinancing to pull cash out for whatever, you know, so, you know, refis aren't going to die, but they're going to be an ICU on life support, you know? Um, and then let's face it, when it becomes just a debt consolidation type of loans, when we're in the 4% range, you know, there's going to be a very, very small piece of refi pie with a lot of loan officers looking at it. So the way you make your career, the way you make your career steady throughout ups and downs of rates is you focus on purchases. And, and again, you know, I, I've preached this forever. So, um, but besides the rates, I think that the wholesale channel, we are going to continue to grow because the best thing for wholesale is higher rates. I mean, when rates get into the 3.75 range, you know, margin compression starts happening. As rates go up, these big companies start, you know, the big retail operations are already doing it. I mean, I, I've noticed that a lot of the guys that were pretty competitive with me at the big companies are no longer competitive with me over the last couple of months. You know, we're already seeing some of this margin compression happening. Um, in early 2019, it, in late 2018, the retail model was really hurting. And then it got a, the coronavirus was the best thing ever happened to retail. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, suddenly some of these retail shops had rates better than we did in some cases, you know, because the big wholesale lenders, some of them had to raise their mark, raise their rates to slow down volume because they couldn't can't handle it all. But that's all going to go away. And we're already seeing it happening. I mean, my biggest competitor that I deal with on a face to, on a one to one basis a lot um, who was almost identical to me in rates six months ago. Um, I'm about a quarter percent redder on rates than he is right now. Wow. That's and a lot. It, it's a big, big difference. And suddenly he's not my competition anymore. I mean, <laughs> um, you know, so, you know, so we're going to see that. So just remember, even though rates are going up, it's going up worse for the retail guys. So we're going to see more and more wholesale grow. We're going to, you know, I know that the goal is to get the thing, what, eventually 50%, but I think, you know, there's steps along the way. We're going to see that growing. It's good for the wholesale channel. It's good for AIM. It's good for me, I think. I love to see this. But I also hear our guys saying, well, man, every time we add a new broker, it's somebody that can compete with me on rates. Okay, well, great. You know, so there is going to be more competition amongst brokers. Hopefully, brokers are all respectful of each other. I mean, but as we grow and we get to, towards 50% of the market being brokers, let's face it, there are going to be some cutthroat things going on out there. Right. Um, I think that the market as a whole is going to keep gearing towards lower and lower comp. I mean, and I hear this all the time. You hear guys complain about one particular lender that's the big boy on the block. They'll say, well, you know, they want us all to lower our margins. Because so, if you look at the rate sheet, the rate sheet's great for the guys at the lower comp, and it's not so great at the guys at the higher comp, the way they spread the rate sheet out. But that's just the business as a general. I mean, if you were making two and a half comp two years ago, why do you need to make two and a half comp today when your average loan amount's probably 25% higher? That's a great point. Um, you know, I've been at one and a half comp for years. I mean, we're just at one and a half comp. We've always been at one and a half comp since the whole comp thing came about. That's always been much, very much on the lower side. Um, you know, the average comp in Arizona, I think is at like two and a quarter or something like that. There's still guys out there selling two, seven, five on the broker channel, but one and a half kept me very competitive, not only against fellow brokers, but killed retail guys. Um, I think that everybody out there with their higher comp plans need to reevaluate it. You know, you're not going to be competitive at 2.75. Right. You know, um, especially as the broker channel grows, because there's going to be more and more guys like me out there at one and a half and one and a quarter. I'm honestly thinking about reevaluating my comp from one and a half down to one and a quarter in the near future. 
my average loan amount went from like 290 a few years back to like 355 or I'm in the year at 355, 357 on my average con on my average loan amount. So I, if I go from one and a half to one and a quarter, I'm still making more money. Than I was a few years ago. Right. Um, I also have my comp capped at 8,500, you know? So if I do a, whatever that comes out to be one and a half of like 560 or whatever that number is, is where I, my 8,500 kicks in, even though the, even though the uh, limit now is 647, 200, I make the same on that as I do a 560 or whatever it is at yep. the 85, you know, um, because I can't be competitive on jumbos, especially I've, I've even thought about lowering my 8,500 down to 7,500. I mean, yeah, mine's it, at, mine's at eight grand and I've left. Yeah. It. I mean, I, 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 I do think that my 8,500 is a little high right now. I mean, now I get it. If you have an office, you have a staff, you have 25 people, you have a lot of overhead, you, you spend money advertising. Okay. That's a different model. You probably do need two, 2% or whatever, but if you're like, if, for the guys out there like me, they're running really thin on um, expenses. You know, my only real expense is credit reports. I mean, I do have some odds and ends things, but, you know, so for me to make 8,500 or 7,500 or six grand on a file, I mean, it's more than enough, you know, yeah. more than enough, you know? So I'd rather do more volume than less volume and higher comp. And the reason for that is not that I want to create more work for myself, but it creates more opportunities and the more opportunities will become more, will become future loans. I mean, again, every time I get a, a, a contract that comes in 90% of the time, there's one realtor on that contract on one side that I don't know. That's an opportunity for me to meet a new realtor. You're building your book of business. I mean, it's like exactly. that, that book of business is what makes your business sustainable. And however you have to get there is first, not, my two and a quarter, my two and a half. Yeah. How, what's the, what's the best way to build this book of business for when rates go up for all these opportunities that you have? Well, and, 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 and again, when the business, when the rates go up and this goes into something weird, I know we talked about some things we want to talk about, about like how I survived the 2008 crash and everything. So this kind of ties in together. I, I don't foresee another 2008 crash. I mean, anything's possible. It's highly doubtful that we'll ever experience that again in our lifetimes, knock on wood, but it is. There was a lot, there was a perfect storm of crap loans and everything just coming together back in 2006 and seven that created 2008. But there's going to be a lot of mini 2008s. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of people that's probably watching this podcast or listening to it that is 90% refi. 100% refi. Um, and when rates go to four, four and a quarter, it's going to be like a little bit of a 2008 to these guys. So, you know, you got to be prepared for it. It's not doomsday, but prepare for it today. And I was caught off guard. I mean, in 2008, I, you know, I like to tell people that the housing crisis in 2008 was the worst time of my life that became the best thing that ever happened to me, which sounds crazy, but at the time it was stressful. I, prior to 2008, I was a subprime refi loan officer. I didn't, I, I thought conventional was for the banks. I did them sporadically. 90% of my business was subprime and I didn't do any real, didn't do any purchase business. I thought realtors were evil. I, the ones I would get here and there, I couldn't stand working with them. I was the guy I was describing a little bit ago. You know, I was the guy that thought realtors were idiots. I don't want anything to do with them. Let me just do all my subprime stuff. Let me do all these cash out refis so people can go buy jet skis and yada, yada, yada. Let me do the no doc, just throw a loan in and close it, you know? Yep. Charge a gazillion points. You know, I remember back then there was a time when we were getting eight points on every loan. <laughs> wow. you know, insane. My very first loan I closed in the business was a stated income, stated value. Stated value? Yeah, 125. I had these people that owed a, like a $80,000 on a house and 
we could do stated values day 125s up to $50,000 loan amounts. So we just simply said, okay, their house, we know it's worth a hundred grand. So technically 125 would be 125,000. But my boss at the time who was training, I was brand new. He said, well, we don't do that. He said, we'll say that the house is worth 130,000, do a 125 of that and give these people all this money. Well, anybody could sell that. Right. I mean, you know, you didn't have, you know, so that was my first loan ever closed. And I never really thought about it, but I pretty much guarantee those people lost that house. Because by the time the housing crisis rolled around, well, that would have been years later. But no matter what, that house never appreciated to where they needed to be. You know, because they were like, honestly, the day we closed out 125, it was probably 140% LTV, 150% LTV. You know, but so back in then you could do anything and you could, and it was a 10 point, you paid me 10 points by the way, you know, wow. so it was crazy back then, but I hit the wall in 2008, like everything I knew went away, no subprime, no status, no, it was back to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, VA, nothing else. I'm in Arizona. I don't know anybody. I'm brand new to Arizona. I moved out here for my wife, future wife, and also because Arizona was the hottest market, one of the hottest markets in the country. Suddenly I'm out here with nothing to sell because there's it's, it's all Fannie Freddie and I don't know anybody and I can't do refis. Everybody was underwater in their houses out here. So it forced me to either sink or swim. And it forced me to go out there and pound the pavement and meet realtors. And that's, like you said, at the time, it was rough. I mean... We were, I mean, there's a story that we don't have time to go into the whole story, but I tell this story about rolling quarters. And what I mean by that is we literally, there was a time in 2008 or early nine where me and my wife, um, girlfriend at the time, me and my wife were rolling quarters or opening our, these chain. Everybody has a big change thing in their house. You know, I had this, we had this big cup that we threw change in. We had to roll these quarters in order to, buy groceries i think for that you know i think we rolled up like 28 dollars or something change and literally went down to walmart or somewhere and bought enough groceries to get through a few days because i wasn't making a penny my wife girlfriend at the time she had a job in the dental world and she was pulling down like thirty-five thousand a year but that was barely enough to survive because she had a son my stepson now um so yeah i mean it was sink or swim, either get out of the business and do something else or go out there and pound the pavements. And it's use as a motor, you know, guys, you, I tell people use as a motivator, you know, look back at the worst time in your career and use as a motivator to never get there again. Right. So if you're doing nothing but refis now, you better be prepared because you don't want to be that guy rolling quarters, you know, a year and a half from now. Right. And the funny thing is, no matter where I'm at, this roll of quarters, honestly, you, you'll see a bunch of signatures on there. I'm not going to hold it to the camera because I don't want to, you know, break these people's trust. But there's a lot of loan originators signing this that you guys all know out there. And it's because we were at an event with Renee Rodriguez and I was um, talking about rolling quarters to make pay to buy food, you know, because that's how low we were. And, um, you know, Renee's like, well, you need to use that as a motivator. I'm like, yeah. So, you know, and I'm like, you know, I still remember that day. You know, I, I will never let myself forget that, you know, so no matter how bad things get, I'm always going to be prepared to never go back to that guy again. And because of that, you know, I keep these, you know, and if you see me at AIM events, I probably got them in my pocket. Really? Yeah. And I'm going to ask you next time I see you. They stay right here in my desk drawer. And it's because, you know, it's a reminder that no matter how much volume I do hundred million a year, no matter how much money I make or how much big my bank account gets, you know, 2008 was only 13 years ago. You know, it wasn't that long ago that I was the guy scrounging change to fucking eat, you know? Yeah. And um, so I use that as motivation today and hopefully anybody watching this, you know, you know, find that spot in your life that you never want to go back to and plan for it and use that as your motivation. So if you're doing 90% refi today, okay, great. But you start finding some realtors, start finding some other referral sources, you know, they're out there. You just got to be the one that wants it more than the next guy. 
Like, and when you're broke, you want it more than the next guy. Right. I love that. I love that. Now we got to get another shirt made that has a roll of quarters on it. Uh, <laughs> well, Todd, listen, you've been absolutely awesome today. I have one more question for you. If you can take a quick minute, what's, well, I actually kind of already gave it, use it as motivation. I usually end it by saying, you know, what's the one piece of advice you basically just gave it right there. Yeah. Find your why. I mean, that's, that's, uh, everybody's motivation is different, you know, um, for the last two years, I shouldn't say that the last three years, you know, we started the building this house process three years ago. We didn't actually sign contracts on it till February, 2020, but that was my why for a while, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, we want this dream home. We're going to, so that was what I was working towards. You know, if you're working towards, you can't, if you're in this business to make money, I mean, we're all in this business to make money, but if money's your only motivator, you're not going to go very far with that. I mean, you know, find something maybe, you know, again, the house I'm seeing it right now, we recently built, it took money to build this place, but right. the motivation wasn't like how many zeros are in my bank account. The motivation was I have certain goals to hit to be able to do what we want for this house, you know, but more importantly, just, you know, again, it's like I said, finding your why you have to figure out what it is that makes you want to get out of bed today and be a better loan officer than you were yesterday. And again, it's like, for me, it's that roll of quarters, you know, for the other guy, it might, for somebody else, it might be their two-year-old son that wakes them up every Monday, every morning before they get out of bed. You know, uh, my kids are grown. So, you know, that's not a motivating factor for me, even though I'm an ATM machine to them still. Um, but, <laughs> They're on the payroll still. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I mean, it's just, again, I mean, you know, I don't want to see a bunch of people at AIM events carrying quarters around, but you know, um, but find your why you find, find what motivates you. And, and again, look, don't worry about tomorrow, worry about next year, the year ahead. I mean, you know, don't too many people are focused on what's right in front of them and not plan ahead, ahead, you know, and, and again, that goes back to the guys that are making a ton of money off refis right now, please plan ahead because that is going to stop at some point. Yeah. And uh, don't be that guy with, with a roll of quarters like me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Todd, listen, this this is by far one of my most favorite podcasts. Nothing against anyone else who has ever been on these because I love them all. I truly do. But this one was it was a little bit extra special to me. Um, I appreciate everything you do, just like I said, for our community, the association, and literally taking an hour out of your day to be with us. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, no problem at all. And hopefully, um, I don't know when this is airing, but hopefully everybody will uh, make it to the uh, Miami event. I'm sure you'll be there and I'll be there. And, uh, yep. You know, I think that's going to be a fantastic event. So if, if this is airing before then, get to Miami in February. <laughs> it definitely will be. So yeah, and, and worst case scenario, I will see you in February. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So Todd, once again, thank you for joining us today. Brokers, if you want to get caught up on all of our pad, past podcast episodes, please head over to aimgroup.com backslash broker to broker you can listen to all of the broker to broker podcast episodes on itunes spotify google Podcasts, anywhere else where you can download podcasts do me a favor subscribe to it leave a review um it helps us get the word out there that brokers are better and todd by far you're one of those so once again thanks for thanks for joining us today yeah thanks for having me guys today's episode is brought to you by first look as a 2021 aim sponsor first look is committed to making the appraisal process as simple fast and reliable as possible not connected? Please email us at partnerships at aimgroup.com.